0: I'll start out by saying this. It's the hardest thing I've done, and it's the most enjoyable thing I've done, and it's the most rewarding thing I've done. Every child, every child has made me a better person in some way, a better parent, a better husband, a better member of the community. It's made me more compassionate. It's made me more um, loving. It's made me more giving.
1: How do you unlock the full potential of your influence and create the lasting change that you are destined for? I am your co-host, Dave Donaldson.
2: Thanks, Dave. And I am your co-host, Scott Young. Welcome to the Influencers Podcast.
1: Join us each week for exciting stories and strategies from leaders, experts, and professionals from around the globe. As
2: we are empowered to make an impact that resounds from your neighborhood to the nation's Welcome once again to the Influencers Podcast. We are here to see the influence of your life grow, to change your world, and to change the world. One of the most important areas that we can influence is the rising generation, those young men and women that come behind us. If you have children, if you have grandchildren, especially if you've met kids at risk, foster care children, this edition of the podcast is for you. We have as our guest Dr. John DeGarmo, who is an international expert in parenting and foster care. His TEDx talk has been viewed over 25,000 times, and I recommend you look it up and listen to him. He's the founder, the director of the Foster Care Institute. He's not just an academic, he's practicing. He and his wife have taken in over 60 foster children into their home. They've adopted two of them, bringing their natural total to six. And uh, they always have some extras, it seems. He is someone that loves what Jesus calls the least of these. And we're just really thrilled that he's joined us today. He is a a consultant to schools, legal firms, the foster care agencies. He also is an empowerment and transformational speaker. He trains schools, child uh, welfare and nonprofit organization and businesses. He's an author. He's written a fascinating book that we highly recommend to you, the church and foster care. He's appeared on CNN, Good Morning America, NBC, Fox, CBS, PBS. I guess that's about all of them. In fact, the Good Morning America show has awarded him uh, an Ultimate Heroes Award. And John, I want to thank you for being a hero. I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, caring for what jesus said let the little children come to me that's your heart thank you so much for joining us on the influencers podcast we welcome you oh thank you so much for the opportunity we want to know uh, what was the genesis of you and your wife feeling a call to help foster care kids and to see the the real mission field that exists
0: yeah, it is a mission field. You're absolutely right, and that's a great question. It wasn't anything that I really wanted to do, or even thought about, or considered, or imagined. In fact, just the opposite. I, I believed a lot of the myths and misconceptions that are associated with with kids in foster care that they're bad kids, and foster parents are crazy people. You know, foster parents are crazy people. We have to be crazy to do what we do. I, I guess really why we chose to do this lifestyle was. Um, it was after the death of our first child. Our first child died of a condition called anencephaly, or some pronounce it anticephaly. It's a condition where the brain or skull never forms. And my wife was in labor for 92 hours. And afterwards, I turned my back on a lot of things, including my faith. I was very angry. I was filled with anger. I thought, how, how can this be? You know, I, 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 my wife and I have never done drugs or alcohol. We, we did everything right. Um, yet this happened to us. And there are people who abuse drugs and alcohol and have healthy children. So I was very angry and thought there could be no such thing as God. My wife turned towards her faith. I, I rejected it. You know, Years later, mm-hmm. we moved back to the United States from Australia. And I had three healthy children at the time. And I was teaching in a, in a very rural school setting in Georgia. And I noticed a lot of kids coming to my classroom who had issues of attendance and issues of behavior and issues of the academic and I kept asking myself, what's going on? Why all these kids in the small town? And then I, I noticed that um, it was starting in the home. I met a lot of their birth parents and recognized this is a broken town, lots of generational pop- poverty, generational apathy. And I noticed that, you know, what's this generational? So uh, at that point, my faith had been restored um, and was growing. And I was making major changes in my life. And I went to my wife one day and said, hey, you know, I got this student in my classroom. She's She's pregnant with triplets. And I, I know the environment that she comes from. I know the environment, the father, the kids comes from, the babies come from, and it's bad. So so what if I bring these babies home? My wife said, as long as you change the diapers. So, you know, I probably should have listened to her because we did 20 years straight of diaper changing in our house. We had seven in diapers at one point. So, you know, that, that led to the discussion of, of foster parenting and the training and the doctorate in the books. And and now I'm just driven daily. I'm driven daily to care for God's kids in crisis. There's so many of them.
2: How has having foster children come through your home changed you, changed your family dynamic, changed the the kids that you have? How has that brought change in your life?
0: You know, I'll tell you that I'll start out by saying this. It's the hardest thing I've done. And it's the most enjoyable thing I've done. And it's the most rewarding thing I've done. Every child, every child has made me a better person in some way, a better parent, a better husband, a better member of the community. It's made me more compassionate. It's made me more um, loving. It's made me more giving. Uh, You know, there's there's nothing like watching a child who has never smiled, who has never laughed, learn how to laugh while living with you. Learn how to smile. I think back to a, a four-year-old girl who had been raped by her grandfather over and over and over again and couldn't speak one word, just grunted. When she came to her house, she was four years of age. She could not speak a word. She just grunted and pointed to her mouth when she was hungry. And um, you know, I, I remember the very first time she smiled, and that was life-changing for me. Uh I think back to the little boy who had cigarette burns in the roof of his tongue and his mouth and his genitals from his mother, and I tell you, I'll be honest with you, I was angry at the birth mother. How could she do this? But then I remembered she's a child of God, God loves her just as much as she loves me. Her sins are no bigger than my own. Look at the plank of my own eye, so it's taught me to not judge others as well because we all you know we're all sinful, and God loves him just as much as he has um you know and and how that little boy changed me. Um, you know, my own kids, my own, uh, we've, we've had the blessing of adopting three. And that's something I never set out on doing either. And we've, we've had four failed adoptions, but I never set out on adopting any of them. Um, uh, So my own children have, uh, I, I think they've grown as well. While none of them may ever be a foster parent, I truly believe that all six of my children will lead a life of serving others in some way because they have seen in their house, in their family, up close how children their age have suffered so much from abuse, from neglect, from abandonment. And I think that's made my children very compassionate. It's made them stand up for bullying. It's made them stick up uh, to those children who are friendless and and try to friend them. Um, So I think it's really changed our whole family, um, not just numbers-wise, but for
1: our character as well, who we are. Uh, John, uh, good to see you, my good friend. Thank you. Uh, You and I have had some great discussions. And as Scott mentioned, your book, uh, The Church in Foster Care, uh, should be on every bookshelf or beside every bed. I mean, you you need to read this book. It's a masterpiece. And uh, I'm holding up here, by the way, uh, the adoption certificate for our daughter, Uh, Barbara out of foster care and what you shared is what we experienced firsthand you know when we first met Barbara she was hiding her face with her arms uh, because she had been you know abused and neglected you know for many years past from home to home and wondering if we would really keep her and uh, but as you also have described uh, today in in your book uh, it was revolutionary to our family our kids uh, teaching them really what it's like to be adopted by God yes uh, we all have this adoption certificate you're written in the Lamb's book of life the Bible says if we're following Jesus uh, but also uh, so many principles uh, such as sharing and and but you uh, you're, I believe you're the most articulate and knowledgeable voice when it comes to foster care and the plight of these kids. These kids right now across this country that, like our, our daughter and those uh, that you and your wife have adopted, that are, that are crying out. They're crying out uh, for a forever family, and God's crying out. Uh, For families, that will be the fulfillment of His promise to these kids to be a father to the fatherless. But we're in a crisis in this nation, and I'd like for you to share your perspective on this crisis and where we stand today. Is it getting better? If it's, is it getting worse? And what can we do about it?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, before COVID, before COVID, foster care was in crisis. There were more kids coming into the foster care system mainly due to the opiate epidemic at that time, and not enough foster parents. Now, where do these children go when their parents are incarcerated because of opiates? Where do these children go when their parents are hospitalized or even die because of their opiate addictions? They were flooding a new foster care system that couldn't handle it. Not enough foster parents, more children coming in, caseworkers overworked, overwhelmed, under-resourced, underpaid, understaffed. Since COVID started, it's, it's grown worse. It's grown worse. I have been far more concerned about the mental health issues that we've done for our children than of any virus. We have seen, since COVID started, Mm. a rise in child abuse. Before COVID, there were 5 million children in our nation experienced domestic violence in their own home. That's gone up since COVID. Uh, Teenage girls' suicide rates, attempts up 51% since covid we've seen the rise of homelessness. Mm-hmm. Think about those youth in foster care who were in college. They've aged out of foster care, that that 6% who went to college, college dorms shut down, they're now homeless. Residential homes or group homes shut down because of COVID, those youth now homeless. Um, more children coming in now over the borders and not enough homes. It's truly in crisis. A human trafficking has gone up in our nation. You know, this is something that many of you don't recognize: is the fact that human human trafficking, child sex trafficking, is in every single na- in every single community in our nation. A lot of that's associated with foster care, When these kids are in foster care. They don't want to be in foster care; they want to live a normal lifestyle. So they go online looking for for love. They're looking for normalcy, and a lot of that happened during COVID when those kids were at home online. And the sexual predators recognize that and they lure those vulnerable children in with false hopes and false promises and they run away with human trafficking. 300,000 children victims of human trafficking in our nation. 800,000 children missing
1: in our nation. It's a really difficult time right now. Our daughter, and you and I have talked about this, she was uh, really close to being a victim of one of these predators. And we found out that One of these predators had convinced her to use a different email, uh, an alias name, and to meet her at a park. And uh, we found out about it through our youngest daughter and intervened and even got the authorities involved and and then learned it was even more uh, deep and deeper and complex uh, tied to this human trafficking. Uh, Let's drill down on that a little bit. Because uh, you know you you've shared uh, with that I know on on many different uh, television shows like CNN uh, the tie between foster care and human trafficking.
0: Yeah, sixty percent of human trafficking victims that are rescued are from the foster care system. Uh, as I noted earlier, many of these times when these kids are placed into foster care, when they're placed in my home. They don't want to be here. I can offer them all the stability, structure, unconditional love that I can give them. End of the day, I'm a stranger. It's a time of anxiety being placed in my home because these kids don't know who I am, and they're scared, they're afraid, and they should be. They should be. Now, I want to preface this by saying that in my house, there's no label. There's no biological or foster, adoptive. They're all my children. There's no black or white. To me, they're all this. We're all the same color, just different shades of God's skin. But when they come to our house. So many times they are scared, they're afraid, they go to any foster care home, and they go online looking for to be normal. They don't want to be have that label associated with them as a foster child or foster kid, particularly when they go to school and they're being picked on and bullied at school because they are that foster kid. So they go online looking for normalcy, trying to express themselves, find somebody that, that, that will talk to them normally, and again, that's where those predators lie. Those predators lie, waiting for them, recognizing how vulnerable they are, and fill them with false hopes and false promises. Hey, I love you. Or you're so pretty. You know, uh, hey, you come work for me, or I'll take care of you. And these kids just want to believe. They want to believe that they're normal. They want to believe that somebody loves them out there. So they rush out there to these fault, to these predators, and they become victims, or they run away from residential homes or group homes, and they become victims. You know, I, I often call a, um, human trafficking America's ugly secret because we don't want to talk about this as a nation. It makes us feel uncomfortable. So we talk about other things. We, we avoid it. But as I said earlier, it's in every single community. And this is where I believe the church has a role. I firmly believe that the church's next great mission field is that foster care mission field. 450,000 kids in foster care in our nation, 300,000 children victims of human trafficking, 5 million children in the greatest nation in the world, America, victims of of child abuse um, in in our homes. So, So Jesus says,
2: lift up your eyes. Don't look down. Don't look away. See the harvest around you. And you just talked about this great harvest field that is around us. How can we help churches, people that are listening now said, I, I w- I'd like to become engaged in helping be a solution, be an influencer in this area to bring God's love to these broken lives. How can we bring this mission and get churches to lift up their eyes and see this this huge harvest mission
0: field? There's so many ways, so many ways. I said earlier that to me, being a foster parent was the hardest thing I ever, I ever did. Uh, and, and not everybody can be a foster parent. At the same time, at the same time everybody can help a child in crisis in their community in some way and this is an opportunity a fantastic opportunity for the church to do so our government can't do it they've shown us they can't do it the, the problem is so big particularly when many states Michigan Texas South Carolina they are uh, there's there's a movement out front by our government to to handicapped, faith-based foster care organizations. And if we do that, we're going to lose a lot of foster parents. So this is a time for the church to step up and have their own outreach program. And it can look like a number of ways. To begin with, when a child comes to my house so many times, they just have the clothes on their back. I, I remember a, a group of five kids that came to our house, and they just had the clothes stapled together. That's all they had. The clothes they were wearing were stapled together. We actually had to burn their clothing because they were contaminated with, fe- with feces and meth. Uh, and, or sometimes they come to us with their clothes and their belongings in a black plastic bag. I know of many church organizations, churches and faith-based organizations who have started a suitcase ministry. When every child leaves my home or a foster care home, they leave with a brand new suitcase, giving them some sense of dignity. Because a trash bag represents to them that they're trash. Churches can open up a clothes closet or a food pantry for these children. Some churches have have opened up. Um, uh, well, my church does something wonderful. I love what my church does. They have we have what's called a um, uh, every every other weekend. Um, my church opens up their doors for foster parents to drop off the child in our home at the church. The birth parents can come and meet the child at the church for the visitations, and it's meeting in a neutral, warm, and budding environment. You know, when when the visitations occur, so many times they occur in a child welfare agency, and for that birth parent who might be struggling with anger issues or, or grief or guilt or struggling with their own anxiety, they might see the child welfare agency as a, as a place that, that's, that's very negative or judgmental. But when we have those visitations in a church, where the birth parent come together with a child and the church members are volunteer to oversee it, supervise, and monitor. Hey, who knows what kind of seeds are planting in that birth parent, the opportunity for the church to to witness. Uh, Some churches have foster parent association meetings in the church. Um, I know of many churches that um, buy meals for the foster parents once a week. Hey, how about a church open up their doors and have, Uh, had their members adopt, if you will, a foster family for Christmas and birthdays and shower the children with gifts. I've seen kids in my home, 10-year-old child, 10-year-old child who didn't know how to open up a gift because he never had one before. So these are just a few of the many, many ways churches can open up their doors. You know, and what I've seen this, I've seen so many times people at our church or the churches that I've worked with, Um, their lives have changed as well. Their lives have changed as well because they've seen people heal. When the birth parents see their children healing from what the church does, a part of that birth parent may heal as well. I I look at two of the three I've adopted. Third generation foster care, their parents and birth parents were also in foster care. Sorry, their parents and grandparents were in foster care. And their mother was trafficked out by age nine. You know, she is in pain. She's suffering. She's filled with anxiety. She's never found the healing. When she sees her two girls healing, part of her heals as well. And that's what God wants, what God wants for all of us to heal. We're all hurting in some way. I've also seen sometimes church members become foster parents because of the ministry in their own church.
2: So, So if a pastor or a leader is listening and they would like to connect with their local, how do they find local foster care agencies? How do they begin to build those bridges that you just outlined, how do they do it in their community?
0: Well, they can simply contact their child welfare, their local child welfare agency, whether it's through the state, or maybe there's a private agency in their town, or maybe there's a faith-based agency in their town. You know, one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm working with foster care agencies across the country and helping them re- recruit new foster parents. And I'm telling the foster care agencies, they need to go to the churches in their community and form relationships with the churches in their area to help recruit mm. new foster parents. The churches can do the same thing. Just call up their, pick up the phone or do a search online and locate the nearest child welfare agency in their area and call up the director and say, hey, you know what? We would like to help the children in our area or maybe help the foster parents or the birth parents you know, by providing new clothes or school supplies or hygiene items or that suitcase or whatever it might look like.
2: And when you wrote the book, The Church and Foster Care, what is the idea that, and someone wants to get a hold of that book, how do they do that? What's the idea you're trying to get across to the readers of that uh, of that book?
0: You know, I, that book came from the book Faith and Foster Care. When I was talking to foster parents across the country, I kept asking them, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And by far, the vast majority said they felt called to. So I wrote the book, The Faith and Foster Care, and then I started thinking about the deeper you know, people of faith are being foster parents, but how can we get the church involved? So this book is designed for churches and faith-based organizations. It gives them a lot of ideas, tips, strategies to, own, to create their own foster care ministry in their, own, in their own community. And every chapter ends with a number of questions because I see it as a study guide for small groups or maybe Sunday school classes where they can read a chapter a week and then they can sit around and talk about, hey, you know, here's some ideas. What can we do? One of the things I love about Sunday school class where I go to is I love the discussion time. I love you know talking with others about and learning from others. Well, this is an opportunity for churches to learn from each other and again, create their own ministry. As I said earlier, there's a mission field in every community. I've been to Mexico, Honduras, Nicaragua, all those things have been life-changing for me. But we don't have to leave our country or even our state or even our city to find a mission field of children who are suffering. You know, Matthew twenty-five thirty-five says this. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you gave me clothing. To us, that's the children where we live.
1: Uh, John, you know, there are a lot of myths that, uh, and as a result of those myths and people believing them, uh, we have, uh, you know, thousands of kids right now that uh, their lives hang in the balance. They need to be rescued. And I know when I share my daughter's story, the number one question I'm asked, it's parents uh, that are afraid that if they bring uh, a child in from foster care that it's going to negatively impact their kids, and and perhaps even physically, you know, harm them. Uh, can you speak to that? Sure,
0: sure. Sixty plus kids in my own home. My children would have it no other way. It's it's their it's my kids' norms. Their norm, my children's norm, is having another sibling in their home, someone that they've learned to play with. And grow together with and love my kids. As I said earlier, have learned to be more compassionate, be more caring, stick up for others, serve others, and they've done that by caring and living with their foster siblings. Uh, you know that is one of those myths. Another myth I hear is this: Dr. John, I couldn't do what you do. It hurt too much to give the kids back. And I tell them, well, that's how it's supposed to be. It's exactly how it's supposed to be. This child, yes, when a child comes in my home, I give all of my heart. When they leave my home for whatever reason, whether it's adoption or aging out or moving to another home or going back to their relatives, whatever it might be, yeah, my heart breaks and I've cried and cried and cried over children. But that's a gift because I might be the first person who's ever loved that child in a healthy way. So sometime in that child's life, they're going to remember, you know what? There's a time in my life, or maybe the only time in my life, that somebody loved me. So we can give a gift of our broken hearts to these kids. My children have never been threatened by a child. That's not to say it doesn't happen. Um, but you know, though, again, those are, those are myths. There's another myth that the kids are bad kids. These are children who have suffered from abuse, neglect, abandonment. These are children who are hoping, maybe even praying, that
1: somebody will help them. That's the reality. And I think people need to realize that what's at stake here is the enemy seeks to rob, steal, and destroy these kids right. by insulating them uh, by these myths that you just so uh, well described. We got to fight for these kids. We got to fight for their testimonies. Mm-hmm. Yes. If and not us, then who? So I want you to really challenge, because millions of people right now are considering foster care or adoption and but many of them never take the next step and so you know i'd like for you to challenge our audience you know to become really take that next step well as
0: i said earlier i never planned on doing it it was nothing i really ever considered but it has been by far the most rewarding thing i've ever done i can't imagine life not doing it um as I said, it's the next mission field. But but more importantly, I think back to the starfish story. And we've all probably heard the starfish story. But for those who have not, I just want to share very, very briefly. There's a father and son walking on the beach after a huge storm. Uh, there's, the beach is littered with starfish from one end to the other. And the sun's just starting to come up, starting to heat up. The starfish are starting to die. The boy is bending down and picking up a starfish and throwing it in the ocean. He bends down and throws another starfish in the ocean. He bends down for a third one, picks it up and throws it in the ocean as far as he can. He's doing this for a while, and his father watches him. And after a while, the father says, "Son, what are you doing? You can't save them all. It doesn't make a difference." The son thinks about it. He bends down one more time, throws a starfish in the ocean, and says, "It made a difference for that one. You know, I can't save the world." And neither of you can save the world. But when we care for a child in crisis, we care for them and bring them into our home and love them, their world is changed. I can't change the world, but for that child, their world is changed. Mm -hmm. So we all have an opportunity to change the world, one child at a time, for a child that is suffering. These are God's children in crisis. There's a crisis in our nation And it's up to us as people of faith to answer God's call and say, I will help. That child that's praying right now, right now, God, please have somebody rescue me. Please, God, have someone save me. I'm hurting, God. I don't want to be beaten anymore. I don't want to be touched there anymore, God. Please have someone come rescue me. This is an opportunity for us to answer that call.
2: What a powerful um, challenge. There is a thief that comes to kill and steal and destroy, but Jesus comes to give life, and abundant life, and he does it through his people, through the body of Christ, through people just like you, just like your wife, just like your family. And if people are listening and they'd like to connect with you, John, maybe have you come and speak at their organization or, or get a hold of the book that we've talked about, how could people further get to know about you and the really the calling that's on your life?
0: Very simply, you can go to the Foster Care Institute. Just search online for the Foster Care Institute or just just search online for Dr. John DeGarmo, Foster Care Expert, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn. I'm all over social media. Um, and I'm I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve.
2: Well, thank you so much for joining us and uh, for, for raising our eyes up. As Jesus says, look at the harvest. It's all around you. Thank God for what's going on in the nations of the world. This is a huge harvest field that is all around us, and we just need to see it. Thank you so much for sharing with us today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Influencers Podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network.
2: If you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. You can follow us on all social media platforms at The Influencers Podcast Official. You can stay up to date, hear more inspiring content, and unlock your full potential as an
1: influencer. Remember to use your influence to create lasting change that draws the world closer to Jesus.